A very warm welcome to This World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. listeners and welcome to this World Game Changes podcast episode. Episode number seven, Changing the Beautiful Game. What a title that is and to help us along and find out what that actually means. Very, very pleased to, to introduce somebody um, who I class as a very close personal friend, a very trusted business associate. Uh, but there is a black mark against him. He's a Chelsea follower. But Gary and I, I'm sure we can kind of overcome that. I don't know. Jason, without further ado, my friend, it's over to you. Hi. Good evening. Hi, Gary. Hi, Paul. Hi, Jason. Nice to meet you. You're right, mate. You too. Um, well, welcome, everybody, if you're listening and just wanted to um, host this, which is quite special for me because I do have a, a dear love of football. Not that I was any good at it, um, but the teams I, I followed, I thought that they were, but they turned out not to be. But hey-ho. Hey um, obviously, today's uh, podcast, we've got Paul and Gary that are both the co-authors of Angels with Dirty Faces. And, and what I'm going to try and do, guys, is just put some questions to you. And it will be great to feel uh, an honest appraisal of, 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 uh, of your answers and we can we can take it from there. Um, I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm sure it will go very well. Um, but um, this is completely off the cuff. But what age did you guys start going to football? I started in nine, 1974. Was was my first game. <clears throat> yeah, uh, 1974. I started playing football at school. When I started primary school, and then uh, my first ever football game was 1974. I never really looked back, really. And then, uh, like I've said before, I was a bit of a Leeds fan at school. Uh, but my dad took me to Forest and Norwich, the first game I ever took. He's from Cambridge and he likes the West uh, East Anglian teams. So he took me to that game. So I've always been a Forest fan, but at school, there was, you know, Leeds, Liverpool, Arsenal were the top teams at the time. And most of the kids, because Forest were in their second division, most of the kids followed the big teams like they do nowadays. Like everyone's follows Chelsea, Man City. Man United, don't they, these days? Liverpool, you know, I think it's just natural for kids to go that way. But I found, eventually found my feet. My dad took me to a few Leeds games while I was at school. Which I, that was a great Leeds side as well. You know, with Don Revy's side that won more or less won everything. Uh, I got the buzz watching Leeds. I thought it was fantastic. I used to love going up there. Uh, obviously, then Forest got promotion and uh, got swept, swept off by that, you know. Going back to most of their successful seasons, you know what I mean. So I was, I was always a Forest fan. With, with sort of four years of that, you were hitting the heady heights of. Yeah, European. we won everything. Won everything, didn't we? In five years, from yeah. going up, you know, we had five years of success. You know, I don't think I'll ever be repeated. You know, I know Leicester's had a bit of a bash at it, but I don't think they can. I mean, they, they, they go on and on and on about the. It was a miracle, more of a miracle than Forest. But if you ever get the chance to see the documentary, I believe in miracles by Johnny Owen. You know that film, that documentary was fantastic. You know, 
you know, nobody ever repeat what Forrest did. Getting promotion and winning the European Cup. Back to back, might I say. Yeah, absolutely. I think I was um where was I? I was I was eleven when Forrest first won. Um and just to counteract that, my <clears throat> first game was nineteen seventy six at Stamford Bridge, went with my friend's dad. And as young kids, we were going around the west part of London to see what the best team was going to be to follow. Um, I think that year we both went up together, Forest and Chelsea, 76. Yeah, yeah. and we played Oldham at, at Stamford Bridge and we were 3-0 down at half-time and 1-4-3. And the atmosphere, atmosphere from then on was absolutely amazing. And, you know, I started going to football in you know the early 80s or late 70s early 80s when there was a lot of trouble which we'll cover off uh, later on um and it was a it was a dangerous place to be but wow the excitement on top of that was was just unbelievable and when we finally did win the league um I was living in Spain at the time and my son who was 8 um we we won at Bolton Lampard scored both the goals and I started getting a bit emotional when we finally won. And my dad, uh, my son said to me, Dad, you're a wuss. Um, and he had no idea because he'd only sort of grown up with Chelsea at the, the you know, making their way up more consistently than the, the, as, as I watched them because we were continually relegated, then promoted and relegated and promoted. And it was mind-numbing. Um, and again, as a, as a young kid, I used to, I used to get three buses and two trains um, to go to these games and, and watch us get beaten by Scunthorpe on a, on a rainy Tuesday mm. evening. And you think what it's all, what's it all about? What's it all for? Yeah. Um, but anyway, digressing. I can, remember, I can remember Chelsea getting relegated to old second division. Uh, Kerry Dixon and all that lot playing for you. You was playing, uh, like you say, I've got a lot of Chelsea mates and they were, they were travelling to Oldham away on a Tuesday night. You know, they struggled yeah. for a few years, didn't they, Chelsea? Uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and how about yourself, Paul? What was your first dabble? Blackpool. I always say Blackpool Town. You know, um, a good another good friend of mine, Les Brad, um, all time got a record goal scorer for Knots. And every time I see Les, and we've had a chat this afternoon on the phone, I always remind him, you'll, you'll remember this, Gary, 1975 uh, when he scored that goal in the 89th minute at the Bridgeford end from an Ian Scanlon cross. And um, I was talking to, to Les about, you know, games, nostalgic games. And and I said to him, oh, this was quite some time ago, Blackpool Town. And he said, there's no such football club, Paul. I said, there is, Blackpool Town. They play in Orange up in Blackpool. He said they're called Blackpool Football Club. And as a kid, I'd got it in my head that they were called Blackpool Town. And and even now, what you know, I, I let it slip out of Blackpool Town. No switch. There's never been a Blackpool Town, has there? No. But uh, no. That, that was my first game. We just threw them in the FA Cup as well in January away. Mm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably one or two people going up there for the uh the seaside is weekend away. Well, I don't think I'll have a weekend away. I'll take my lad, but uh, I'll definitely be going to the game. Mm. Well, that's uh, that's that's good to hear. I mean, on a on a separate note, um, for this is to to either of you. Is there is is there anything that you would change about the modern day football? And also, how does that compare? Do you think um, to previous decades? 
decades of when uh, when I think we all started watching football, probably seventies. I'll let Gary go on on this one because I think he's got a more tolerant stroke diplomatic response than mine. Yeah, I know what Paul's going to say. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love football in the 70s. It, it was a day, like you said, Jason, it was a dangerous place. There was no yeah. families went. It, it was, there was no families that went. At, it was just a male orientated sport, wasn't it? You didn't really see many women there. Or, or, obviously, the old kids went, but it was dangerous. You know, and like I've said this before, like you said as well, but I mean, it's, there's a lot of money in the British game now. And I find it hard, you know, some of these players are spoiled, you know, and they're not really connected to the fans anymore. You know, not like the old days where the, some of the Forest team used to travel on the train with the supporters and mix, you know, and that great Forest side, you know, I've never met such a good bunch of guys, you know, so humble. And they'll speak to anybody that'll... You know, they'll have photos anytime, but these that Monday footballers, some of them, I find they're up their own arses. A lot of them, not, I'm not yeah. saying you know, all of them are, but you know, the, the money's he's got a bit, bit silly, but then again, it's made it better, it's made it a better spectator sport, a, a friendlier place. It's, it, it's all seated stadia, you know, and you could take your family, you could take your young boy now, and you know, you're safe. So, in that respect, it's, it's got better, yeah. You know I think. We couldn't carry on with the 80s the way it was, you know. So it has yeah. got better in that respect. Also, I probably would say that, um, which has been a massive positive for me, w- would I sit and watch a game from the 70s or from now? I'd watch it from the 70s, if, in, in all honesty, because of good memories. However, yeah. uh, the things I don't think can happen again now because of health and safety and the accidents that we've had, things like Hillsborough, Hazel... No. And those—that's that's where the game for me yeah. has improved. Yeah, know. I totally agree with that. That—that's that, what I'm saying. I'm totally agree. I mean, you know, the football in the seventies and early eighties was fantastic. I love watching some of those players. Um, but like you say, it, it's had to change, and it's changed for the better, spectator-wise. But these footballers now—I mean, mate mentioned the other day. Uh, I, was, I read one of his posts, and he's right what he said. I, I could name every every FA Cup winner from about 1968 to about 2000, you know. But I can't remember any, any FA Cup winners anymore from 2000 yeah. onwards. I don't remember them now. I don't take much interest in it. I've lost interest in it, you know. And, and the way they've uh, dismantled the FA Cup, putting it in five o'clock on a, on a Saturday and, and, the, and the way they've, they've put it on the back burner and, 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 the, and the teams, you know, they play the second string and just, what do you call it, um, you know, I don't like the way they've treated the game. Manchester United went off, didn't they? And went out of the FA Cup a few years ago to play the World Championships, which yeah. uh, demeaned the FA Cup, didn't it? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I think it's just where the business comes into it. Um, yeah, it's money. It's all about money now these days. It's a money-making machine. It's like I said in the previous podcast, I think Manchester United, Liverpool, they'll be playing league, uh, Premier League games in China and Bangkok soon, next five years, for the money. There'll be that much money. They won't be given a, a hoot about the season ticket holders or whatever. They'll have a they'll have a home game in Bangkok. You know that's what that's the way the Premier League's going. Yeah, I I really hope. I think you're actually right, Gary. I hope to God it doesn't happen. I mean, for me, just to finish on the FA Cup when I was a kid, it was a whole day event. We'd be up at right. eight, nine yeah. in the morning watching yeah. ITV Sport, Dickie Davis, um, watching the yeah. the the bus. Leave the the 
the club's hotel and, you know, make its way there. We'd go out, play football with my friends, pretending that we were one of those sides. And then even after the game, we would then go back out over to our local uh, pitch and have another game till till it got dark. And it was such a, a big oh. And as you say, I can't remember who won it two years ago, in all honesty. No, that's right. I'm exactly the same. Exactly what you said there. We was all exactly the same as kids. You know, I'd watch it from it come on TV at dinner at lunchtime, just fall in the morning, ten o'clock, whenever it come on. You know, yeah. watching the team, watching the teams leave the hotels. It was just a, a massive buzz. The only thing that gives me a buzz now, I still get, I still get a buzz off the FA Cup draw. I love the FA Cup draw. Yeah, you know, the third round draws to see who you get. I, I still get the buzz off that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there will be hopefully, hopefully. Um... What I do love about the FA Cup, and I was watching really bizarrely, I was watching a programme on Bradley Walsh last night, the the comedian yeah. uh, film presenter. And he was a semi-pro footballer, played over at Brentford. And he was saying that what he loved was the, the draw. And, you know, for you, if you were a... And I played to a reasonable standard, wasn't good enough to be pro, but played semi-pro. And even when it was a FA Cup, you, you know, you went on a little run. And... yeah felt like you were you were part of that then you actually felt like you're actually a, a pro footballer and and it's great i love it when these these sort of real real lower teams face the you know the liverpools and the man united and the even the forest now because it's a premiership club it's a premiership yeah. club to a point um but that's that's such that's the beauty and the romance of the game of the fa cup you know that, you that's right play. yeah that's that's right you know you like you say you play semi-pro there's that dream for the semi-pro footballers um, I think uh, Colville Town got to play Charlton away this season didn't they and we, we, obviously we follow Carlton Town we worked for Carlton Town and um, you know we, we, we played uh, I think it was last year or the year before uh, I think it was uh, Stratford Stratford Town and they went on to play Shrewsbury and they went 1-0 up and we gave them a right game you know we was winning at half time and it's the dreams are there. A little, a little club like Carlton Town one day could get to that first round, like Colville Town. They're only yeah. a step above us. And they went to Charlton Athletic. So the dream's there, isn't it? That's what all the FA Cup's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, here's a question for you, Paul. Um, what do you think about the saying, don't get too high when we win or too low when we lose? I think it's one of the best pieces of advice as you can give out in life. And, and in the, whether it's in a game or in life in general. I think it's phenomenal advice. It's brilliant. Doing it, however, ah, well, that challenges human nature massively, massively. I, I just love that because when you look at the euphoria of, you know, your team winning on a Saturday, you just feel on such a high. But what I learned, and this is a very deep personal experience, I know what it's like to give all your power away to something as I did as a teenager to Nottingham Forest, you know, and it's been well recorded in, you know, in this book around that, you know, that 1974 scenario with Newcastle uh, and then, you know, 48 hours later losing to Fulham, the curse of the black and white, as I called it. That was enough for me. Broke me, broke me completely. So what I learned from that is, you know, so let's look at this situation. You've got a, a team in red and you've got a team in blue. Could be Man United, Man City. And they play each other in a cup final. One of the teams wins 1-0. It doesn't matter who it is. Imagine there's 100,000 in that crowd. 50,000 are red, 50,000 are blue. 
half of them are going to be absolutely elated because their team's won 1 0. Yeah. Half are going to be absolutely devastated because their team has lost 1 0. And what this is for me is a great message to us all that the result is the result is the result. It's 1 0. The only power it has is the power we choose to give it. So one half's going to be absolutely elated because they've given it that love because their team's won. And the other half's going to be devastated because their team's lost. Doesn't matter. The result is one nil. That was that's been a very, very, very powerful lesson for me. Yeah, of course. And also that's something that you can apply to life in general. Yeah. I think because yeah. we all have I've I've have I have good days where I think everything's going right for me, everything is perfect, life is good. And then you also have other days where life isn't so good. And I think it's just about learning that going back to the, the football. It's just a game. And I think I've been there so many times where I've been with my son and we've gone to watch the football and he's absolutely devastated because he's a, a little lad. And I'm saying, Louis, it's just a game. We've got to try and get over that hurdle. It's just a game. Don't get me wrong. At that time, it hurts like hell. And you you don't want to feel that pain. And, you'd, and I've done it. I've got quite angry sometimes um, because of the result. But the next day, it's, it's old hat. I think we've all been there this weekend with the England game, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but what we do, and we will do it, we will pick ourselves up, we'll dust ourselves down, and we will wait another four years, God willing, that we're all there. Yeah. And we will che- we'll, we'll cheer our team on and we will we'll continue to, to do that. And hopefully it's not, not too long. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, well, let's hope our son's seeing when it in their lifetime. <laughs> I so. Yeah, I really hope so. That would be, that would make me feel happy if I knew that if I, when I pass on, that my son was to witness it, I'd be, I'd, I'd accept that. Not that I'd know a lot about it. Yeah, I, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I, over the last year, I've, I've had two dreams come true. I've seen England play in the final with my son. And I've seen Forrest get promotion to the Premier League at Wembley with my son. So it hasn't all been bad over the last year or so. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, there you go. You, you, <clears throat> we, we, we may not. We, you know, we lost that day in the final against Italy. Um, mm. We were all devastated. But you look at the elation that you had. Yeah, with, that's right. Getting there. Yeah, you know, I never thought I'd see England in the final in my lifetime. Yeah, so it's, one, it's one box ticked, ticked anyway. It's especially watching it with my son as well. That yeah. may never happen again. So yeah, quite, quite possibly. You know? And we look on the bright about- side, like you say, Jason. You always got to look on the bright side. Yeah, definitely. And we, we spoke about this a couple of minutes before we went online and we were talking about Gareth Southgate and, you know, is it time for him to move on? But if you look at his track record, he is now, instead of us getting knocked out, even not even making it to these competitions, right. yeah. Yeah. we're getting through to finals now. And if we get knocked out of a quarterfinal, that's a bad tournament for it's us. A, so, yeah, so you're right. It's a disappointment. That's why we feel so down after Saturday night. Because th- yeah. that's, that's a step backwards, isn't it, for us in recent years? So yeah. it just shows you how far we've come. No, definitely so. And I, I, I do generally feel that if we had beaten France, I think we probably would have won could, it. got on to have won it. I really do. I do as well. Yeah, it's another missed opportunity, isn't it? But hey-ho, you move on. So. Absolutely. Um, talking of, uh, of finals, I'd like to give uh, you guys a predicament, because I know you're a big Forest fan, I'm a Chelsea fan. Um, 
let's say Chelsea are playing Forest in a Champions League final um, and it's 2-2. Which one is the bigger club? And in your views, what makes a big club? Uh, I think the fan base and uh, the history of the club as well. You know, there's, there's, there's many aspects makes a big club. Um, it's not just a, the money. I don't think it's the money as well. The You know, I know the money makes big clubs these days like Manchester City, you know, but I, I do think it's the fan base as well. I mean, Chelsea's been a well-supported club since the 60s, haven't they? They had a great side in the late 60s, early 70s. Peter Osgood, you know, I can remember them beating Leeds in the FA Cup replay at Old Trafford. I barely can remember it. But, um, you know... David. That, that, that early 70s team, you know, of the, of the King's Road, you know, that that Chelsea, they had a dream team then, didn't they? Yeah. I think the history of a club makes makes it a big club as well. Chelsea's got history. You know, Forest's got history. So there's two big clubs there. No, and absolutely. They've got, they've got massive fan bases all over the world. I mean, Forest's got a big fan base all over the world because of two European Cups, you know, so. It's a footprint that they've got. They've both created. That's right. That's right. I think if you if you were to look at the lower league clubs and if you were saying, you know, um, I don't know, let's say Portsmouth, probably not the right answer there, but a club, they've all had their own piece of success, whatever that may be. They've all had their day out where they've won something. That's right. I mean, our, our, class, our class Pompey is a big club on the yep. South. You know, they've won FA Cups. You know, they've got a great fan base. There's another t- the team that's got a great fan base. They've got a great... I know it's only a small little ground, 20,000, whatever, but they sell out every away game. I, I was, I, I've just been to Pakistan with Portsmouth, mate, and we watched Portsmouth play at, at Wickham on TV over there. And uh, I think they had 2,500 fans behind the goal. They sold out. From You know, look, look where they have to travel, how far they have to travel. Uh, Pompey yeah. will sell out most away games. So it's too big a club to be in League 3. Yeah, definitely so. Definitely and they've always had a bit of a reputation, Pompey, for their... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, on the on the on the, on the uh, football hooligan side as well. You know, they're one of they're up there. They're up there with uh, on reputations. You know, six fifty seven crew. Yeah, uh, you know, and so and travel. There was that was the name after that train, <coughs> fifty seven. You know, they, they turn up in Newcastle and get the train at six fifty seven. So you know, credit good credit where credits do. And um, what about yourself, Paul? How would you answer that? Well, I what look makes- at the. Um, the European Cups that, uh, or the Champions League that both respective clubs have got, and they are locked to a piece. Chelsea have had two successes. Forest have had two successes. I don't think. I think it's the you know the reason that I think this is such a great question is it's ninety nine times out of hundred it's going to be answered by emotion, not logic. Yeah. You ask this question to any football supporter. But unless they've got that ability to detach and give a real objective answer, you're going to get a very skewed response. A very skewed response. My emotions are massively, massively entrenched in Nottingham Forest. That automatically defaults me emotionally to give the answer of Forest. However, then when I kind of step out of that and think, well, what if we was having a debate you know, walk in somebody else's shoes, walk in some blue shoes. Maybe you've got some blue suede shoes, Jason, that you haven't told us about, these Chelsea specials. Um, but look at it then from your point of view as a Chelsea follower. Well, you know, like Gary says, rich history, big following, 
massive infrastructure. They haven't spent that long um, over, over you know, a period of time. They haven't spent that many years in the old second division. I know they've had a flirt with it here and there, but not majorly. When you consider some of the, you know, the big clubs that were in the Premier League or the Division One, if you want to call it that, they've almost disappeared without trace now. Chelsea haven't done that. Um, so, I mean, emotionally, I'm going to go with Forrest. Because you wouldn't expect me to do anything else, Jason, would you? Uh, another, another thing is, Forrest won it with very little money. You know, I'm not going to arc on about the money side of things, but Chelsea did have a big investment. You know, would have would have Chelsea gone on to win the Champions League without that investment? I don't know. You know what I mean? But Forrest, I, mean, I, know we, I know we paid a million pounds for Trevor Francis. It was a record at the time. In today's value, it probably equals what we're playing these days, what Chelsea play for the players these days. We're the most expensive goalkeeper at the time, Peter Shilton, 375,000 from Stoke, whatever it was. In today's money, that's probably equals whatever, you know what I mean, what Chelsea are playing, playing for their players nowadays. So, looking at that, you could say it's equal again, couldn't you, really? Yeah, I mean, when I, when I look at that, and I look at, you have to, it's something that you do have to look at, the money mm. side of things. And yeah. you take someone like Blackburn, that were not doing fantastically well. They then get taken over by um what's the guy's name? Jack um, Walker. Jack Walker. Jack Walker, Sin, yeah. Sin the, Jack Walker. The steel yeah. boss. Um and within a couple of seasons they've got Shearer and Sutton, Graham Lassau, yeah, right. Batty, they've they've won the league. Um yeah. and yes they got more investment, they've got more money coming in, but it's it's sustaining that. And you know we've had other clubs that come in and they've done it. Don't get me wrong. Abramovich was a different, a different level, and I think he then set that parameter. You know, the water level then came up here. You then had the likes of Man City getting taken over. I mean, I've got a very good friend of mine that's a Man City fan, and I remember beating Man City five nil with him when Sven Goran Eriksson was in charge. And he said, "Jason, we're never going to get out of this." I said, "You will." And now look at them. Arguably, probably the most wealthiest, one of the wealthiest clubs in the world. Um, and every, I do believe at some point there is the business behind it. Um, and the business will, the profit that they make will then give them that leverage to go out and buy themselves. It's like a day out shopping. You, you know, you're going to go and buy yourself a star player. That guy hopefully will then get you 20 goals that may get you promotion. And then a bit more investment comes in. And before you know it, you've gone and bought three star players this time and all of a sudden your squad will grow and I think that's what's happening with Newcastle now for definite you know let's see where they are in five years time because the the funding's not going to stop but you know how you define a big club you're exactly right Paul if you ask me the question I would say Chelsea because I'm a Chelsea fan and I think it really is the emotion and it's from your heart and that is what football is about it's the the passion the beauty of all of that, my uh, my ex used to think I was absolutely bonkers watching twenty two grown men running around a field kicking a bit of leather, and she didn't understand. And when I sat down and explained to her, you know, like without getting too deep, um, if you look at the nineteen sixty six World Cup, we're placed, we're 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 facing Germany that we've had a a world war, two world wars against, um, and we beat them. The first time we've won it. Now we go, we move on to Argentina. 
You know, we've had the Falkland Wars and then the the, the goal from the handball. Maradona, yeah. God from Maradona. Um, the passion that there was. And while we're here, I just want to say this very quickly. I was in a pub in Milton Keynes in 1986 and these were the days where they had a a, a pub sorry a, a television which is probably three feet deep let alone wide yeah. Um, yeah. on the wall and we saw this hand of god goal come in some idiot through his pint glass smashed the television screen um and we all literally ran out of there to find the next pub. And then a little bit after that, that same group of guys, and we all ran down together, the ones that were calling Maradona a little this, that, whatever, he then went on and scored, arguably, for me, one of the great best goals goal. I've yeah. ever seen. Um, yeah, great goal. group of people, as much as they hated him and we hated Argentina, they, they stood up and they applauded because what you're applauding is the talent that someone has. Forget what colour shirt he's got on. Forget what colour of skin that he's got. It's about the natural talent. And I think that's where we all believe, whether we're Wickham Wanderers, Portsmouth, Chelsea, Forest or Real Madrid, we all believe our team is the best in the world and it's the best out there. And I think that is the the beauty that we have in this game. And I don't, I don't see another another sport like this i've got a lot of friends that are rugby players and they say oh you don't have the the trouble and the fights like that uh it's a gentleman's game rubbish it's a it's the passion of what it is and to me football is up there because it is associated with the politics so closely and the clubs and the supporters that follow that make it make it what it is so i'm digressing massively off off after who i think is the bigger club sorry about no, that it's all right <laughs> I've just been talking to my MD today. He's just got back from guitar early hours this morning. And uh, <clears throat> I was asking, obviously, having a catch-up in the office tonight. And I said, asking what it was like out in guitar. You know, because the, the, the um, stadiums were all in 28 miles of each other. And all the fans mixed in sort of one area. And he said, they want one bit of trouble. Not one bit of trouble. He says, you know, all the fans brilliant and well-behaved. You know, he said it was a great atmosphere. It's one of the best World Cups he's been to. And I think he's been to about five or six. Wow. You know. So just pretty just shows you, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, okay, on that note, guys, would you think it's more important to be a star player in this beautiful game of football, or a star player in the beautiful game of life? And I'll put that to you, Paul, to start with. Hands down, very simple. It took me two seconds. Game of life, every okay. single time. And for yourself, Gary. <laughs> It's a difficult one for me, that is. I've always wanted to be a star footballer, but never happens. I'd like to be son to be a star footballer. Let's hope that happens. Um, you know, I'm, I, I like you know, I like to give things. So, you know, if I was a star player back in the day, you know, I, I think I think I would be a nice person with it. You know, I'd, I'd like to... A lot of players are like that as well. They give to charities and do stuff like that. I think I'd be that. I'd go that way along the lines. You know, set my own charities up and stuff like that if I had the money. Yeah, I mean, I've I've met a few players in in my time. Some of them are, are so up their backside. It actually yeah. moved me away from the businesses I was in that I didn't want to deal with footballers anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. they were they were so. Um, 
just focused on themselves. And I think, you know, in the old game, in the in the new game, you've got both sides. That's just people's characters, unfortunately. Yeah, that's right, yeah. That we have. Um, that sort of leads me to uh, to ask, what sort of qualities or values would you believe that are needed to be a star player in either the beautiful game or the beautiful life? I love yeah, uh, go on, Gary. Go on. No, I, I, well, I didn't want to interrupt you. Uh, it's dedication. It's, it's dedication in all, all aspects. I think you know you you got it's a mindset. You know, you, you can't go at it off heartedly, can you? You know, my my son, he goes up the he goes up the playing fields on his own playing football, like what David Beckham did. It don't matter if he's got no mates to play with. He practices shooting, you know, for a couple of hours. He'll, he'll practice all day. It's dedication. It's determination. So, absolutely, absolutely. And how about yourself, Paul? I think things like um, respect. I mean, these—they're almost cliched, but they're true. When you when you kind of dig beneath beneath the surface of you know what's what's really needed, you know those those traits of of respect, of trust, of honesty, and this is why you know. In the modern game, and I'm generalising now, I've kind of turned my back on it because money spoils it. These two, you know, I see players diving and cheating and trying to get a fellow pro sent off and all that. I just find it disgusting. So what happened to the the trust and the mutuality and the respect of, of a fellow pro? You know, at the end of the day, the guys are trying to earn a living. Why do you want to dive around as if you've just been shot and con the referee? You know, and all this kind of stuff. And then punching the ball in the net, you know, deliberate handball, deliberate cheating. Yeah. You know, all these kinds of things. Yeah. I don't think you see that with the British players, to be honest. I, I think it's it's mainly the, the Latin players. You know, the South American players seem to do it a lot more. It's, it's part and parcel of their game, isn't it? You know, I don't yeah. think... I, I'd say it's 95% of British players are pretty, are pretty um, honest that probably holds a lot of water, Gary, but my mind goes back to the Leeds-West uh, Brom game three, two, three seasons ago where there was there was two particular... Sorry, no, there was an incident there where um, the Leeds game where the ball was punched in the net. And then was it yeah. Howard Gale yeah. uh, for West Brom where he did this swallow dive? I mean, it's, <coughs> the Bolshev Ballet should have signed him all. It was an amazing dive. And he got a penalty mm, for it. I mean, that... But my, my mm. real big kind of bone of contention is there's the young kids watching that and they've been taught that actually it's okay to cheat. I've got very strong views on that because if you cheat in the game of football, you're going to be cheating in the game of life. Absolutely. Is that is that is that the foreign influx that's uh, sort of come, on, come into our game a little bit more? Yeah, possibly. Know. It possibly, Gary, but it's you know, the officialdom is in the UK. It's the British game. It's up to the officials mm. to be strong enough. You know, the FA, the the football, the EFL, uh, you know, whatever the authorities to say. Actually, I don't care where you come from, but you're playing on our soil by our rules, and we mm. ain't having it. But as mm. we know, they don't. Because for me, and and, and stand to be, you know, corrected I, I still, on this. It's, it's worse. I still think it's worse with the foreign players. That's what I'm trying, yeah. Ross. I think it's a hell of a lot worse. You, you know, know we've, I... seen, we've, we've seen it in this World Cup. 
Uh, we've seen, I mean, as, as well, you talk about respect and you see the Argentina teams when, team when they won on penalties and they all went mocking the Dutch players in the centre circle, didn't they? Yeah. You know, that's, that's what, that's respect. That's not, that's not nice, is it? It's, it's, it's awful doing so. You know, they just lost in the penalty shootout quarterfinal and for them to mock the, the Dutch, I thought was disgusting. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And contrary to that, I actually saw a newspaper article today with the Japanese coach that, bowed to the opposing fans that had beat him um, out as a, a mark of respect. And that is one of the things now that where the business side of things have taken over over the game, our beautiful game, um, I do think that we have lost a lot of good things from the game that I originally had that we don't have anymore. Um, and that part of integrity is there. When, when I see players and Listen, we had one in Iron Robin for Chelsea. It was like he'd been hit with a taser gun sometimes. Um, and he would time it just right on the edge of the box, go down. And I used to hate it. I say, great player, but, you know, you've got that skill that I never had to make it as a pro footballer. Show us what you've got, you know. You know you're, not, you're not Bambi on ice. And we, 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 I think... We don't want to watch it, do we? We don't want to see that. No, no, no. And it was the influx. The you know it started with Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa after the '78 World Cup. Then the the we had the explosion of uh, the the foreign players, and it was exciting. It did change the game, but you saw more you more you saw more flair, and you know they would acrobatically throw themselves down where it may work in Serie A or another part of the yeah. world. It doesn't work here. No, that's right. Or it didn't do. Um, just changing thing, something, um, and this is something that I've thought about, Paul. And this is a, a curveball uh, question that I want to throw to both of you, um, and and it's this is going back to the book that you you guys have both um, very well co-authored. Um, in my time, I think I was about twelve years old, and we were in Chelsea. We're in something called the Milk Cup. And from memory, we were, either, we were either in the first division or the old second division. We played Millwall and we played them away, um, drew, and then we beat them 1-0. And anyway, I'm with my friends. This is a school night, a Wednesday evening, pouring with rain. And we never, ever wore colours because you didn't do it because of the, the hooliganism that was going on. And Millwall were, were right up there when it came for that. Um, so we'd walk down to... Um, Ells Court state or spat, we've gone from Fulham Broadway down to Ells Court Station standing there and a group of guys came up to us walking along and we were 12 years old and these guys must have been in their 30s you know with a you know, beard and they were obviously obviously Millwall fans one of them had a, a, a Millwall shirt on so we knew they were anyway these guys come over and said right guys who do you support uh, we said Millwall of course and in my days as a kid, I always used to buy a program um, and religiously kept them. And I've still got them somewhere in the loft. Um, but luckily, I, I glanced down and the guy said, who's the goalkeeper then? And I said, Bob Wilson, for argument's sake. They rustled my hair, what I had of it then, and um, said, good lads. And we then went home. The next thing I, I knew, I woke up at eight o'clock in the morning to go to school. And my mum said to me, this is the last game you were ever going to. And I said, well, what's what's happened? And she, this was on Radio One News. And there was a 17-year-old kid 
that had a Chelsea shirt on um, and he had 200 something stitches in his back where they'd slice the Millwall fans had sliced him three times. And what they'd done, they'd put a penny piece between uh, two blades, which, which is a lot harder to, to stitch. Yeah, and right. guy is the main for life. And this is not directed at any one of you two. But I would say that, listen, I, I've done things that I've regretted when I was a kid. Um, would I go back and change what I did? Yes. Would I change my life? No, because it's made me who I am today. And the reason for me wanting to to know this, because it's quite a poignant uh, part from the games that you've gone to, the aggression, the violence that you got involved in, with, um, I know that was part of your learning curve to take you. And certainly, know, I, I know you, Paul, to where you are now. Do you regret any of that? Mm. Gary, do you want me to go first? I don't mind. Oh, I don't regret what, uh, anything because I never, I never did anything like that in my life. Um, I, obviously, I got in a lot of scrapes, had a lot of fights at football, but uh, I never really picked on. I never did. I never picked on anybody. Anybody younger, and I never picked on anybody with a shirt or a scarf on. Um, I got beat up as a kid when I was still at school at football matches. I told you before, I got beat up at Southampton. Uh, it was I had a, a horrendous day at Southampton. I got the train down there. I was 15. Went back to school on the Monday with black eyes and a bloody half a broken nose, you know, and, uh, and that was frightening. Uh, I've seen, I went to Forest and Leeds at Leeds. Um, the, 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 the Leeds fans were skimming Coke. Uh, flat coke uh, cans and skimming into the forest fans and forest fans were getting stretched out with cut heads. You know, I've seen all that and I was I was 13 then. It was frightening. Football stadiums then days were frightening. And you had to yeah. watch what, what you did and where you went. You know, uh, um, my mum and dad wouldn't let me go to several games, you know, when I was 14, 15. If there was, uh, if there was uh, you, know, you knew there was, there was going to be high, high profile trouble. You know, and I used to go bar me at them and Ball my eyes out. I want to go, you know. That caused that many rows, you know. Uh, I went to Old Trafford when Forest won the League Cup for the first time in 1978 with my mum and dad, my dad's friends, and we come out of the ground. We just beat Liverpool one 0 uh, Liverpool fans were smashing everything up that moved, uh, and they was picking on my dad's mates. And my mum was fright scared stiff. My mum didn't get to a football match. That was 1978. My mum never went to a football match again until Forest got back in Europe. In, I think it was 1975. She was frightened to death. Never went back. So it took about twenty years to go back. Yeah, so yeah I've seen it. seen it all. You know, I know. I'm done me all. I've never done anything like that. You know, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I've had punch ups. You know, I, I've been battered and bruised, and I've, I've probably done. I've done the same to opposing fans, but it's been opposing fans that wanted to fight. You know, I've yeah. never picked. I've never been a bully or picked on people, and, I, and, I, and most people will, will tell you that. So yeah, I, I think in most of the. The scuffles that I've seen, and again, when it was really poignant, I was sort of 12, 13, 14, and mm. it was it was gangs running at you down the side streets, yeah. and it was yeah. more either before the game or after the game, and you had no choice. It was fight or flight. And That's right. Most That's times, right. Yeah. It was, if you were caught, then it was fighting. And yeah, don't get me wrong, I've, yeah. I've been involved in some of that as well. So um, I hope you don't think the conversation or the question was too direct, but bearing in mind... The conversation that we're talking about, I just wanted to to know that. And how about you, Paul? 
very much similar to Gary, really, although, you know, as been previously highlighted in this in, in previous chapters, this um, my approach was different. I've always been a loner. And the only time that I, I say the only time, I mean, I certainly, you know, I've witnessed things that, you know, not to the great degree you've just um, described there, Jason, with the Millwall and the 17-year-old Chelsea boy. But I'm, I'm very aware of how horrific things were. But from a personal point of view, no, no, mine was more of I'm a kind of I'm a loner. Just leave me alone. And when people didn't leave me alone, that was when or if I saw bullying towards a woman or a kid, I had very strong views on that because that was influenced by my own upbringing. So yeah. I kind of hear you and I've witnessed that. I can remember Chelsea fans, actually, ironically, in Broadmarsh, the old Broadmarsh, Gary, after after the match on a Saturday, creating absolute havoc one Saturday tea time. Uh, that's probably the late 70s. Um, yeah, I, I, Paul, yeah, I think it was about 76. Um, uh, the, 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 there was nine stabbings at Forest, a record for a British game at the time. And Forest played Chelsea, both went for promotion. I think Ian Britton scored for Chelsea. It was a 1-1 draw. It was actually on match of the day last night. There was running battles on Trent Bridge, running battles all over Nottingham. There was actually nine stabbings at a football match. Mm. Wow, yeah, I've actually yeah. still got the I've still got the newspaper clipping. God, I mean, that that then to think about if there was one stabbing now, it would be all over the papers. And that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where the game has progressed. The money has come in. It's made mm. things a lot safer for people, um, families. I got to a point where I wouldn't take my son anymore, and we were playing uh, Liverpool. Uh, in the cup, and we'd beat uh, we'd beat Liverpool two one, and this crikey, this must have been fifteen years ago, something like that. And because of any of the two sides, where they knew that there was history, as you know, that they would hold on to one set of fans and let the others go, and they'll literally walk them onto the trains, so they're they're on their way. Uh, we thought all that was done, and as we were literally bottlenecking out of Stamford Bridge the Liverpool fans just started throwing bottles and they were hurling them down. And I, I just straight away put my hand over my son's head, as you would do. One literally just brushed the top of my head, but caught me flipping hurt. But I just, I mean, my son was petrified. Um, and I vowed that I wouldn't take him back to a, to a game. And I've not been for a, a long time. I hasten to say, I don't think that would ever happen now. Or it would. Um, but the, the likelihood of it happening is a lot more unlikely than what it was twenty, even twenty years ago. Yeah, that, that's that's right. I mean, uh, uh, my son's twelve, coming on thirteen this Christmas. He's done about thirty-three British grands. Um, he's only seen uh, a little sporadic bit of violence at one game, and that was MK Dons against Mansfield when they were both going for promotion, and the fans came on the yeah. pitch. And that's the only trouble he's ever seen at a football game. So. Hopefully that that'll be the last. That's a good thing. Um, I'm sorry for that dark question to both of you guys there, but it did spring to my mind that I just wanted to box that off. On a much much lighter note, um, what would you say that your hopes and dreams are for the beautiful game of life rather than just football um, in general? Mm. Hopes and dreams for the future, I would say. Yeah, and it's just for a peaceful world. And that might sound a very general or a big, big ask, 
for a peaceful world. But when you look at us as individuals, and you know, I've spent a lot of time in this space over the years, and you know, even in my chaotic years, my dark years, knowing that how beautiful that peace is when you're in that solitude and silence, and you know, all that outside noise, clutter, expectation, call it what you will. And then for to have that as an individual and then share that with somebody and then see a group of people and then an even bigger group of people, and then a community have that and then a country have that, a continent, a world have that. That for me is a breeding, a, a breeding ground for having a beautiful, beautiful life. It's peace. It really yeah. is peace. Yeah, I've, I've got to back Paul up on that one. Um, I like seeing ends all terrorism around the world. No more world wars, uh, and to you know, and because for future generations, you know, my sons' sons, and you know, it's terrorism all over the world. You know, I've just been to Pakistan. First time England have been allowed to play cricket in Pakistan for seventeen years, and we got welcomed with open arms. The people were lovely, are absolutely fantastic. I've never been to such a more, more welcoming place. But everywhere we went, there was guns on every corner. You know the, the hotels. It was like uh, Fort Knox. You know there was there was sandbags and and soldiers behind behind sandbags. We got with K forty forty sevens, whatever they call them. You know I've never seen so many guns in my life. You know. Oh, and so, what was the that, Gary? Is it was it pardon? because of the whole terrorism? Yeah, because of terrorism. Still, uh, the England yeah. team being being in being there, and you know uh, Al Qaeda is still about that. You know, yeah. so it, it, the threat of terrorism. So it was on red alert. The country's still on red alert. I'm the England team there. So uh, I've never seen, you know, I'll be, be honest with you. Um, I've got a taxi. I, I flew in on my own. My mates were about two or three hours behind me. I was debating whether to stay at the airport and wait for them. But I got a taxi to the hotel on my own. And I must admit, it was a scary taxi ride because I didn't know where the hell I was going. You know what I mean? And the bloke didn't speak to me all the way in the taxi. And I, and I, and I thought, what, what's happening here? I envisioned myself being, being up in the hills, being captured. Well, so, it, it can happen, and it has. Yeah, that's right. Probably more so in sort of South America, places like that. Um, yeah. But, well, yeah, it's um, very sad. Um, so would you say in this beautiful game of life that we have, what would you say has been your greatest joy and your biggest regret? Um, certainly no regrets because we can't change, but we can learn from what happened. You know, we have experiences in life and we reflect upon them and we take the learning from them to do things better the next time. So regrets only create negative energy. There is a slight caveat on that, which I, you know, if I could do things a bit differently, I'll come to that in a moment. But the greatest joy or one of the greatest joys, uh, to me, this kind of question reminds me of, OK, then name your top three rec best records of all time. I love that question because that's kind of depending what mood you're in, that answer will change. Um, but I mean, top of my list is, is botching all three of my kids been born. That, and how about that, yeah, I, I like to suppose that I ain't got many regrets in life. I won't be where I am today. Uh, I don't have the friends I've I've got today. If I hadn't gone down that path, got some brilliant friends all over the world. And and the, the, the biggest thing that's ever happened to me in my life is having my son, you know, and uh, watching my son grow up and taking him to football and sharing the same experiences I went through following football, cricket, and just enjoying life. Really, fantastic, and. and uh, 
sorry, yeah, Jason, what comes a very close, um, well, if I was going to say comes a very close second, was that fateful day at Wembley. This is going into the beautiful game of football so, yeah. uh, on the 29th of May 2022 when Forrest won the playoff final against Huddersfield. That day, and that wasn't just about a Forest victory, that the energy in that stadium from the Forest contingent was like nothing I have ever, ever experienced before. That was well, that I will take that to the grave with me as one of the greatest days of my life. And I hasten to add, it wasn't about the result. I mean, obviously, that contributed, it was about the energy, you know, to see families. And this is where, kind of, despite, despite my own kind of um, disregard for the modern game generally, certainly at the higher level, you know. One of the great things, and you guys have already singled this out quite consistently, is the way the stadia have changed. You know, the epitome of that was at that fateful day at Wembley a few months ago. You'd got families standing together, laughing together, crying together, tears of elation, tears of joy. That was something to behold and something I will never, ever, ever forget. OK. So in that, in those words, because you both noticed there that you mentioned you don't have any regrets, which is brilliant and fantastic. And I'm 100% with you on that because I'm the same. Our, our tapestry of life and our experience of life is what takes us and what makes us today. Um, so on that note, if you could both meet yourself at the age of 18 again, what inspirational words do you think you'd say to yourself? I'll go to you, Gary, on that one first. I didn't listen to anyone at 18. That's a problem. <laughs> I never listened to anybody. Um, I was a bit selfish. Um, uh, I was completely different, like you say, but um, perhaps be a bit more, I don't know, um, respectful. A bit more respectful. Back at, back in the day, you know, I was a bit of a tear away, a bit of a young lad. All I was bothered about was football, drinking, Clothes and women. Well, to be honest with you, women didn't come up, didn't come into it till a few years later. I wasn't even bother about women at that age. Um, probably be a bit more respectful. I uh, hope I didn't upset too many people along the way. Um, obviously, I was. Uh, I've just done a podcast recently. It's it's, it's quite high on social media, and we got in trouble for uh, some Everton fans in Nottingham. And uh, this lad come up, uh, made a comment. He goes, "Oh, I can remember that day, Gary." Um, a few vans got smashed up on Maid Marion Way. He said, I was eight years old. He said, we had to drive all the way back to Liverpool with no windows in the van. And, and that made, that really made me think, even though I didn't get involved in that trouble, um, yeah. I was in the city centre that day and a lot of my mates got locked up for it, um, 38 years between them. And uh, it made me think, that did me, that really hit me this week when, that, when he posted that on Twitter. I'm thinking, that could have been my son. Yeah. You know what I mean? That really hit home. So, you know, I said, that's not very good, is it? You know, eight years old in the minibus. He must have been terrified. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. For a game of football. For a game of football. Yeah. Yeah. So, it is them aspects, you know, 18. I, I know I never picked on anybody, but I did fight at football. You know what I mean? And, and I, I really hope I didn't really upset too many people or too many kids or families. Oh. Sure. And it's really interesting that you say that, Gary, because, you know, if, and I've said this to people in the past, you know, what would you have done uh, if that was your eight-year-old son coming back mm. from the Forest game 
and some Liverpool fans battered his windows in, yeah, you, you'd go. Oh well, yeah, you go ballistic. You go ballistic, wouldn't you? It yeah. does make you think. It does make you think. You know, because at the end of the day, like you just says, you, you protect your son, you protect your, you know, you protect them, don't you? With the, with the bottle with Liverpool fan, you know, yeah. it, it must have been frightening. You know, I've never witnessed that with my son yet. Luckily, touch wood, it will never happen. No. no, but as I said, I think hopefully those those days have gone. Them days uh, are gone. Yeah, I think they but, are. Yeah, and, and what about yourself, Paul? If you could, if you could re-see yourself. Oh, that's yet again. I seem to be saying this quite a lot on this particular one. This this is so easy, um, and this is out of the cloth way of thinking. And I want to, I want to sort of offer a little bit of a song. I can't remember who sang it. Find a girl, settle down. It's not easy when you're young. There's so much you have to learn. That's what I would do. No more. I know now. I'd settle down at a very, very early age with. You know, as much as you can say the right girl, become a family man, a devoted family man. I, and Cluffy used to advocate that massively to his players. Massively. Right. You're getting in the first team. You're breaking into the first team. We need to get your girlfriend now and we need to get you a mortgage. Yeah. And great advice. Great advice. And that's what I would do. Completely different from what I did, by the way. But um, no regrets. No. It's interesting you say. I remember. I think it was one of Cloughy's. You'll probably you guys will know this a lot better than me, but it was match of the day, and I think it might have been um, the good old John Motti uh, Motson that interviewed Cloughy, and it was really sad to see. He had his green sweatshirt on with his red shirt, and he was very, very red in the face. I think it was the Sheffield United game when we got relegated. Last game. It, yeah. it could have been actually, and he recited "Young at Heart" by Frank Sinatra. And even though I wasn't a Forest fan, that put a bloody lump in my throat because I thought there's been this guy that, and he was one of the modern great managers of our time, bar none. And it's the end of his time. And, you know, would he have done anything different? Do you know what? I don't think he would have. No, no, no way. No way. He did it his way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And... What I would say, just to um, just to drag ourselves away from the uh, the football for a moment, um, and and to sort of get back into the reason why we're here. This is about the book that you guys have written uh, of your experiences um, in life, um, and it's almost to 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 capture the spirit of the book of Angels with Dirty Faces. Would you say that it's okay for big boys to cry? Two million percent, yes. Are we allowed to do that? The only one that can stop us is ourselves. Absolutely. I think we are are nowadays. I don't think we would have been 30 years ago, but I think we are nowadays. You know, it's out there now, mental health issues, and it wasn't there 20 years ago, was it? You know, and that... Uh, you know, there is help there now. So I think we are allowed to cry these days. We wanted on 20 years ago. No, and may- maybe that's part of our growing process within us all. Um, when you do have your... I know for a, I know for a fact, um, I, when I was waiting for my son to be born, inside, I didn't know whether it was a boy or girl, but when he came out, I would walk through fire for someone that I didn't know 30 seconds ago. Mm. And... You would do anything, and I know I would. Um, I would do anything 
for my children. And and I think that I then, even as a kid, the first time my son was born, and I was only 19, literally just turned 19 when I had my son, uh, wasn't allowed to go out, or wasn't allowed to go out. I would, I'd be finished playing football on a Saturday for Uxbridge, um, and all my friends were going out for drinks with their blazers on, getting off the, the, the coach for after playing football. And I remember standing there having to go and buy a pair of uh, a bag of nappies for my newborn son. And uh, all my mates were laughing at me, but I didn't care. And I literally, my mindset changed then that that's it. That is what I want to be. I want to be a father. So I still wanted to play football. Don't get me wrong. I still love that game. But something inside of me changed then. And I would say that, of course, it's okay to cry. And, you know, we try and give this image that we're big boys. And really deep down, we're probably not. We're just human beings that are just trying to get on. And we have our passion in life, which happens to be football, but also our children. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and that kind of, you know, really brings it to a nice crescendo, crescendo, really, Jason, because when you, you know, when you look at that iconic Cagney film and this is, you know, Gary and I have spoke about this and obviously was the catalyst for going on this journey um, of, yeah. of having, having these deep conversations and, and the way that Jimmy Cagney right at the end did what he did. And for those people that haven't seen the film, I'm not going to say what he did, but I'd urge you to check it out. But just let's say it reinforces that. Uh, that I adage, know what he you know, that it is okay for big boys to cry because actually real men do. Yeah, it's, do you know, I was, um, I, this is, again, I'm sorry, guys, this is the football related stuff here. Um, but I saw um, in one of the games when, when Portugal uh, got beaten by Morocco, what a fantastic game that Morocco played. And what I found very interesting, uh, whether you like him or loathe him, Marmite, but Mr. Ronaldo, um, that probably will be his last World Cup now. And what I found interesting, one of the world's best players ever, uh, the, the, the cameras, all, rather than going to Morocco, the first African nation to get to the semi-final, and hats off because they played a fantastic game of football, they went on to Ronaldo. And Ronaldo was crying. Um, but that should be for all those kids. And he's inspired my son massively. What you know? What a fantastic young man, my man, my my son has turned out to be. Ronaldo was one of his greatest, his greatest inspirations, and he can still inspire people in his last games because of that that passion. You know, the guy's 37, 38, probably his last World Cup. He's been there, he's done everything, but he's not won the World Cup. And I thought that was such a fantastic advert for the game to know that there are still people that are in their adversity are still as inspiring people. And again, I don't think you'll get that um, on Wimbledon or in Twickenham, because I just don't think those personalities are there. Mm. Yeah, uh, my lad absolutely adores Ronaldo, looks up to him. Yeah. <clears throat> I was lucky enough to get a couple of tickets last, last season when he, he made his debut back for Manchester United, scored two goals that day against Newcastle, beat Newcastle 4-1. So he's lucky enough to uh, see Ronaldo in the flesh, which is um, I'm pleased that I managed to do that for him before he retires. But I actually was going to take him to play against Juventus in Milan a couple of years back. We had tickets, flights, books, hotels. Then COVID struck and we lost it all, so we never got to see him. 
see him in Milan for Juventus. So when he moved to United last year, I managed to get a couple of tickets. So he's actually seen him play. So that's one good thing. Yeah, he will always remember that. And hopefully, whatever. Yeah. Does, yeah. It have inspired him in some way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. What well, you know, scoring two goals back on his, you know, on his return to Manchester United. He'll never forget that moment. Will he? Not at all. So one last question, and then I'm done. I'd like from each of you, who's your best ever Forest player? Well, I've, I've got possibly three. I like. I, I did like Duncan McKenzie, um, then John Robertson, and then Stan Collymore. They're my top three. Oh wow! Okay. How about yourself, Paul? One only. One only. John Robertson. That's it. <laughs> Robbo. Unbelievable. Unbelievable player. Uh, and there's been some good ones down the years. I mean, Gary, you know, from a goalkeeping point of view, mentioned P P Peter Shilton earlier on. You know, yeah. Shilts was, he was something to behold. You know, that save he did from Ferguson at Coventry when <laughs> Forrest won the, the old first division title, that nil-nil draw. Blimey. You know, John Middleton who played in goal. You know, the, the list goes on. Um, but for me, it would have to be Robbo. It would have to be Robbo. Okay. Interesting. Okay. I think that's me me done, guys. And thank you for your time. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure meeting you, Gary. And you, Jason. Thanks for your time as well, mate. Thanks for the no, help. Not at all. It'd be good to meet you one day. Maybe go. <coughs> yeah. Go. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, mate. Yeah. So I think we, we've got play. We've got Chelsea at home on just over New Year, haven't we? So I'm, I'm Is it New Year's some... Day. We've got Manchester. It's been switched. It's been switched to the second now for Has Sky. Really? Got you. Yeah, yeah. It's been switched to the second for Sky. Uh, we've got a good hand Chelsea again. We haven't played Chelsea away yet, have we? I've actually took me some to Chelsea as well before. I think you pumped us in the FA Cup final a couple of years back. I took him. I took him down then. Mm. So, well, I'm sure it'd be different now. Yeah, yeah. We might be, I fancy us at home, to be honest with you. I do fancy us at home. So I think we're really, really good at home. Yeah. And I, I think you're not having the best of seasons, are you? So yeah. I don't fancy, I'd want fancy us away. I think probably might be another round with him, but I fancy us at home. I think our own form will keep us up this year. Well, I, year. Do, I do oh. hope so. I do, have, um, I do have a soft spot for Forest, I must admit, from, you know, my, my early, early, early days when you did win the, the European Cup twice. Fantastic times. Mm. Yeah, a lot a lot of people say that as it happens. Yeah, I've got a lot of uh, London mates, London supporters mates, and they all say pretty much the same thing. That the, the, the Forest were like their second team. Yeah, and they always look at the results to this day. Yeah, you know, and I think I think most of the nation wanted us up last season. You could feel it. Everybody wanted Forest back. Yeah, I must admit, I think I got you. Well, I didn't get you tickets in the end, Paul, but. We what one of the businesses that I have we do we get tickets and I've actually got some people for uh, for the England France game uh, got some people to, to to go out there but I don't think I've had such uh, so many different people this is including the World Cup and I promise you this Paul not that many were were asking for the World Cup but the Forest playoff final I reckon I had about ten different inquiries from people yeah mm. yeah. Yeah, we could. We took. I think we official allocation was thirty seven thousand. There was about mm. two or three thousand in the Huddersfield end as well. Because I managed to get some Huddersfield tickets for friends because I got a lot of Huddersfield mates. Um, we could have sold. We could have sold all the Wembley out for that one. I think definitely. Yeah. 
you know, I've got a mate who's, who's based in London. It's an actor. Um, he's actually a Villa fan. He managed to get a couple of tickets off off a, a mate in London. who normally, you know, sells sells. He can get tickets for anything, and he managed to get a couple last minute. There was that much high demand for that game. It was unbelievable, and I think it was the most watched uh, championship playoff final on Sky ever. You know, and, the, and, and I've got a lot of mates that they managed to get Club Wembley tickets, and they, they were made inquiries with Club Wembley, and they actually turned around and said they never had so many inquiries for Club Wembley for a, for a, for a team. As well, so you know we could have sold Wembley out. Shows you how well loved they are, then, gentlemen. Yeah. It's been absolutely fascinating, Jason. Thank you so much, Gary. As ever, um, there's no place to go from here. Obviously, we, we've got that one more chapter to do now, that one more podcast to do. But to watch this space, listeners, readers, and until then, I'm going to close out the way I always do on these podcasts by saying, remember, the game's changing. How will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world's changing. How will you respond? <laughs>